Howdy folks, this is Aaron. This time on Three Beers and a Scotch, we've got something a little out of the norm and a whole lot special for you. Instead of Mark and I talking about the beers and the scotches, this time we're taking you to the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society's Whiskey Extravaganza in Chicago. I just got back from the Windy City and had the benefit of sitting in on the Glen Fittick Masterclass. You know, I've talked to you guys before about my membership in the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society and one of the benefits beyond having access to tons and tons of amazing single malt and blends and just anything under the sky in in relation to uh, scotch and whiskey. I also get the opportunity to attend these whiskey extravaganzas. As a member, you sometimes get an opportunity to attend a master class. Previously, at the Dallas Whiskey Extravaganza, I sat in on the Doer's uh, master class. And I got to tell you, it completely changed my perception of what doers is. We talked a little bit about that in the episode that's going to come out next. Due to some production delays, you're getting this episode first. Anyway, long story short, I was invited to attend the Glenfiddich master class. And the great thing about that is that we had an opportunity to deconstruct the Glenfiddich 15-year Solera. And when we say deconstruct, that means that we're going to try all the different scotches that make up that fantastic 15-year-old. And so uh, we spend a lot of time talking about the bourbon cask and the sherry cask and the uh, American New Oak. Fantastic thing. But even better, my friends, is that brand ambassador David Alardis, uh, there at Glenfiddich, allowed me to record his masterclass presentation to share with you. So here we go, my friends. Hope you enjoy. Three beers and a scotch. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to drink some Scotch whiskey? Can I get an aye? Aye! Wow, that's pretty good considering we're still early. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being here so early in the day. It's 5.30, it's even early for me, hence pouring around you. Uh, didn't quite get preparation on this one, but we have four whiskeys in everyone's glass by now. Uh, if not, Brandy is pouring the final one. Uh, my name is Dave, I work for the Glyphic Distilling. It's a surprise that I've actually got a smile on my face. I was watching soccer today in Scotland. Basically got kicked out of the whole European Championship qualifying thing. So, yeah, if you see any Irish tonight, they're going to be having a good time because they, they beat the Germany, the world champions. So, is there anyone here that's not from the US? Apart from my aunt and uncle who came in from Glasgow last night. Where are you guys from? Canada? Canada. Yeah. yeah. No one's from Ireland or England or Scotland? No? Okay, good. So that opens, that, that makes it more interesting with where we can go with the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not already aware, uh, the reason we're in this room is to do a deconstruction of our Glenfiddich 15 year old. Can you all hear me at the back? Yes. Yeah? Uh, I'll ask you in a few minutes if you can understand me. <laughs> See how that goes. So, what is a deconstruction? A deconstruction is tasting the components they go into a particular whiskey. Uh, single malt whiskey is usually comprised of many different casks. If you're talking about a single barrel whiskey, whether it be bourbon, scotch, Irish, whatever, you're talking about one barrel on its own. 
And so each individual barrel, when you taste it, each batch will be slightly different. But with the vast majority of whiskies out there, it's a vatting or a marriage of many, many casks. And so with the Glenfiddich 15 year old, we get to this product by marrying these three. These three are, as you can see on your map from left to right, you have the 15 year old Glenfiddich Solera, which is what you can buy. Then the bourbon barrel, so 15 years in a bourbon barrel. Then the new oak, which again is American oak, but it's brand new, it never had any bourbon in it before. And then we're going to finish on the sherry cask. Hands up any sherry lovers. Not sherry, but sherry whiskies. Yeah. Don't want to confuse you there, there's like, it's like one person at the back, like, I, I liked sherry 10 years ago. Uh, so these are the three flavour components that go into making 15 year olds. And we're going to, I think we're hooked up now, pretty much so. What we'll be able to do is taste all the components, and then actually discuss why each whiskey tastes that way. And then what I want you to do is, we're going to start left to right, but I want you to behave and keep a good amount of whiskey in the left hand side, the 15 year old, because I'd like to go back to that at the end so you can taste that and see what all these components together make up. So, as of if you've never been to a Scotch whiskey tasting before, with most of you having been to a whiskey tasting, that means that I have to at least come out with some factual remarks and be a little bit aware of what I'm talking about. Can't just bullshit you for a couple, couple minutes. Uh, the Glenfrey Distillery is an old distillery, it's been around since 1887. But the distillery was not anywhere near to the first distillery in Scotland. There's distilleries going back to the 1700s and even before that. Uh, if you look back at the records of when whiskey was being first made in Scotland, back in 1494, and if you ask an Irishman who invented whiskey, Scotland or Ireland, they're going to say Ireland. Well, they, it's probably true that they were making uh, whiskey or spirit way before the Scots were. Uh, but we have written records, so they were just too lazy to write it down. <laughs> so, uh, in 1494, we started producing spirit in Scotland. And uh, yeah, this is what happens after the tasting. So while I fix this, I'm going to ask you to pick up the first glass. The first glass is one for the 15 year old. Uh, the first glass is the 15 year old Solera. Why is it the Solera? Uh, we're going to get into that in a, in a little bit. But pick up the glass, have a nose. We're using wine glasses tonight, which is uh, it's a little bit odd. Sometimes you get a little bit too much alcohol on the nose with these glasses, so uh, be careful with that. But what you should pick up with Glenfiddich is a, a, a fruitiness. A distinct fruitiness that is coming from our new make spirit or our distillate. Uh, and and that's, that varies from distillery to distillery. But what we're really going to get into is the cast maturation. Uh, but what you're picking up with the 15 year old is a little bit of fruit uh, and a little bit of sweetness, caramel toffee, which is uh, very uh, common for something that's been aged in American oak. So have a little taste, but before you taste it, I'm drinking out of these funky water glasses. <coughs> these are really difficult to nose. Uh, before you taste any whiskey, you have to do a cheers. And in Scotland, there's a number of ways to say cheers. Uh, I've said one of them already. Uh, another way is to say Sanjava, which means good health. You also can say that in Ireland and they'll understand you. Or you can say something a little bit less formal, up yours. <laughs> up yours, cheers. Up yours. <laughs> This is 40% alcohol. This is the lowest uh, alcoholic strength you can bottle at. Very well balanced, very easy. 
I don't really like a splash of water in a whiskey with this. It just needs the tiniest, tiniest drop. So you have some, some uh, bottled droppers on the table. Beautifully filled by my uncle Richard, who's at the back of the room. Just flew in from Glasgow last night, especially for the tasting. Uh, just put like one or two drops in this 15-year-old and see how that just softens up the whiskey. Uh, the 15-year-old is, is very so well balanced that a lot of people at the distillery that work there choose this as their kind of daily daily whiskey. Um, We've actually got a global brand ambassador by the name of Ian Miller. And Ian travels the, the world uh, talking about Glenfiddich. And he was recently doing an interview and he was asked about uh, what his favourite Glenfiddich is. And he said, Honest, I drink Glenfiddich 15 religiously. Uh, that is my go to. And the guy says, Come on, you've got access to 30, 40, 50 year old whiskey at the distillery. You can just, you know, if you go to the distillery and you walk around with Ian, You'll be standing there with a glass tasting something, and then you'll go down into this little cupboard and you pull out an unmarked bottle, similar to one of these, and it'll, you know, he won't even tell you what it is, they'll pour it, and you'll be drinking it, and you'll say, Ian, what was that? It's amazing. Oh, it's, um, that was a Glenfiddich 48 year old oh. <laughs> on a Tuesday afternoon. Well, the point is, is that he says if you, if you drink something like that all the time, then where do you go on a special occasion? So it's very easy for you to have the 21 or the 30 year old or something like that as your favourite whiskey, but it's amazing when your distillery has such a powerful whiskey uh, at the, the lower end of the scale, which is more accessible uh, to most people's wallets. So, after you've tasted that, now we're going to get into a little bit more of the... So the Solera system is how we aged Glenfiddich 15. For the people that do drink sherry, you may have heard of the Solera aging process. Uh, in, in Spain, they like to take this system, uh, and, and what it means is they have four different sherry butts. Uh, we talk about barrels, it's a, it's a unit of measurement for American whiskey, typically it's using a barrel, just under 200 litres. In Spain, they use sherry butts. Um, essentially, they're all casks. Cask is the generic term to use for these things. But if you go to the Glenfrey Distillery, or most distilleries in Scotland, you'll find a combination of American oak, uh, bourbon barrels, and also European oak sherry butts. The sherry butts will cost us about 500 bucks a piece. And if you go back uh, to the 40s and 50s and before, in Scotland we were typically using wine casks, sherry casks that we were getting from France and Spain. Uh, these were very common for maturation in Scotch whisky. However, we found out that the bourbon trade had a bit of a, an issue because they, they had this new law passed where all of the whisky, uh, all the bourbon that was being produced by law then had to be matured in a brand new virgin oak cask. So that gives us a problem uh, you know, in, in the US to try and reuse those casks. You don't know what to do with them. So you have to produce new casks, kept, kept the coopers in work. It was great for a lot of different industries, apart from the whiskey industry. Then Scotland found out, and I don't know if you've met many Scotsmen, but people like to say that, you know, we're cheap. <laughs> I would like to think of it as being, you know, financially aware or just suckers for a bargain, but people think we're cheap. So we found out we could get bourbon barrels for much less, 50, 40, 50 dollars. So the, the Scotch whiskey industry kind of gravitated towards American oak. So the next whiskey we're going to try is the bourbon barrel, number two. If you look at this, this uh, picture here, the Solera is, is is going to be a big part of this process. Uh, and I'm starting talking about the Solera process and sherry. I get sidetracked quite a lot. I want you to taste this whiskey very carefully. It's 59% roughly. Uh, so it is kind of a beast. 
The three whiskies, the number two, three, and four are all cask strength. Have not been reduced with water, and so they are a bit tasty. So once you go in there, taste them. Add a significant splash of water and bring it down a little bit. When you look at American whiskey uh, or Scotch, Scotch whiskey aged in American oak, you get more of that golden color versus the sherry, which is usually much darker. Does anyone pick up? You should make one called the Beast. The Beast. One for the Beast. Yeah, we'll think about it. <laughs> If you taste that whiskey, you should immediately pick up caramel, toffee, uh, and a lot of the fruit, especially when you add the water. Once you add the water to this whiskey, it develops usually, and it gets a much better mouthfeel. It's a lot more palatable. But you've got to add a good splash of water. Don't be, don't be shy on that. So this is Mikey, and he's, he looks after warehouse number eight. If you go to Scotland and you want to steal some whiskey from Glenfinnick, you need to go to warehouse number eight. <laughs> Reason is, when you walk through this, this, this warehouse, you'll find a lot of casks from the 50s that are still holding liquid from back then. So in Spain, what do they do? Solera system. The oldest barrel of sherry, or butt of sherry, is on the bottom. Then the, the, the next oldest is above it, and the next above it. And then finally, the youngest sherry is on the top of this system. So four sherry butts in a system. And when they go to bottle the sherry, they take a little bit out of the oldest sherry cask, and they bottle it. And then they replace that missing portion with the next oldest sherry butts, and take a skimming off of that to replace and fill up that, that oldest cask. And then eventually you're putting a little bit of new sherry in the top cask. What's happening here is you're getting consistency uh, because you're blending casks together and it's evening out. And you also get a, a marriage of vibrancy from the youthfulness of the sherry versus the more mature, older sherry. And so it's, it's not to say that older is always better. Sometimes mixing younger and older is a very interesting combination. Question. Yes. So if you have a 40-year-old, does that mean it's never been mixed? Well, well, that's still qualified. You're, you're adding sherry from the, the waterfall and casks. Well, we don't do that. We don't do that actually. That actual process, we copy it. Uh, we put those those three different components: sherry butt, American oak, new American oak. We dump it into this completely hygienic trough, and then we pump that whiskey into the cellar vat. And this is kind of a, a stolen idea. 1998, our malt master was David Stewart. And David Stewart now looks after Balvenie next door. And he decided we wanted to build this vat so we'd add all these different casks in at different ratios and we would let this whiskey mingle, come together, fuse a little bit. And eventually, when we got to bottle the 15-year-old, we only pull a small portion out of the vat at any one time. So since we filled this vat up, we've never completely emptied it. Which means that in a glass of 15-year-old Glenfiddich, you're going to have a little bit of the original liquid that was put in there in 1998, which means that was distilled in 1983. So there is some of that original liquid always in this bottle. Um, and, and the whole idea was for consistency. Nobody else has copied this yet. Um, that's a lie. Uh, there's a lot of bourbon distilleries are doing it. And I believe Glenn Libert have started doing it as well. But, you know, it's, it's just a massive vat. It's not really anything technologically advanced. But it was just a cool idea that the... You know the guys that the story came up with back in 1998, uh, and it seems to work very well because the 15-year-old we do tastings quite often. The 15-year-old is most people's favourite. Uh, so you notice a big, big amount of heat compared to the first whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. 
So one of my uh, bucket lists, I don't really have a bucket list, I just say that just because people say that all the time. But if I had a bucket list, I would have a projector that worked. Uh, I would love to swim in this vat before I die. <laughs> so if you go to the distillery, you, you might be lucky enough for them to actually take you to where it's number eight and give you a little sneaky taste. Now, the Queen hasn't had her tax money yet, so you're not really supposed to be drinking whiskey at this point. And I just remember this is being recorded, so... <laughs> I'm just kidding, we don't drink it. I'm not going to swim in it. <laughs> but yeah, Mikey uh, here is going to take a little sample and have a little look, but he's not actually going to taste it. Because if you catch that camera, that's not good. The whiskey in here is about 60% alcohol. This will put a smell on your face if you have a drum of this first thing in the morning. <laughs> but more importantly, let's, let's, let's explore the cast a little bit more. So the next whiskey is going to be the, the brand new virgin oak. Does anyone understand bourbon, bourbon cast versus American virgin oak? It's, it's, it seems fairly, fairly obvious. The sherry bar at the front. The second is the bourbon barrel. So typically, quite often people ask us, you know, what kind of bourbon distilleries are you pulling your casks from? Who do you have a partnership with? We have a partnership with five or six different bourbon distilleries uh, and also Kelvin Cooperage in Louisville. Anyone here from Kentucky? Now, because usually when I say Louisville, they say, that's not how you say it. <laughs> it's like, well, try being Scottish or an American for 10 years. <laughs> I can't say anything back over here. Uh, so we, we, we use five or six different vendors so that we get a nice spread across the board and we don't get anyone too reliant on any one company. Uh, and I've seen it in our warehouse, I've seen Heaven Hillcast, I've seen Baker's Mark, I've seen across the board. And what we really want is casks that have held whiskey, whether it be bourbon or rye, it's typically bourbon, but we want those barrels that have held whiskey for four to five years. Uh, so we have to have good wood, but we have to have the knowledge that these casts have not been aging for 10 plus years, and also not for a year, because then it would be too powerful. Um, so that's quite important. Then the new oak casks we're getting uh, exclusively from the Kelvin Cooperage. Kelvin Cooperage in Louisville is a, a, a two Scottish brothers that moved over from Glasgow uh, back in 1990 to Louisville and opened up. They said, you know, they were making barrels in Scotland and they were shipping them all over to America. And like, why are we doing this? Why don't we just move to America? Yeah. That's where all the wood is. So they, they used to use Scottish oak uh, back in the day, before, way before we were using even French oak. And it just it turned out that those casks leaked. So we couldn't even grow trees properly. <laughs> so we had to rely on the French for that. Okay, let's try the new oak. Why, why would the new oak be different? So, 15 years of bourbon barrels. Over here. We do not have European, uh, the, the new American oak aging for 15 years. We take a portion of the 15-year-old bourbon barrels that have aged like fitting, and we throw some of those into brand new heavily charred American oak for three or four months. So it just picks up an additional layer of sweetness, more toffee, more vanilla, more intensity. And if you put Scotch whiskey or a spirit into, uh, if you put malt, malt whiskey into a new oak cask, it's going to be overwhelmed very quickly. So typically if you find a distillery in Scotland is using new oak and it's very rare, one, they're very expensive, and two, you've got to be very careful not to overpower or over oak your wood. Uh, your whiskey. Um, you typically will find that they'll only use that, that barrel, that type of oak, for a few months. So when you pick up the third glass, 
You are going to get more of the same of what you had with the burpings, but just that little bit added a little bit more of all those components that you got. And even the, the fruitiness has drawn up, but obviously it goes without saying you're going to get a lot of woodiness on something that's aged in the oak, similar to your burpings. Cheers. Up yours. It's coming up. That was from the heart. So even even a, a, a more intense fruitiness on this. If you go to Glenfiddich, you can do a couple of things. You can see this, but I'm going to save you a fifteen hundred dollar ticket and take you inside the facility. This is a mash house. I'm going to give you a really quick overview here of what malt whiskey is and how it's made. Will you uh, enjoy that very high strength whiskey? Please add water to all of these. You can't truly uh, appreciate cast strength whiskey, in my opinion, without adding a little bit of water. This is Willie McDonald. He works in the mash house. He also works in the fermentation area. For lack of better term. We have two of these mash tuns. When we get when we talk about single malt whiskey, of course we're talking about barley, we're talking about uh, one distillery. Uh, and what we do is we bring in the barley, we grind it down into a grist, we take that barley and we fire it into one of the two mash tuns. And then there's going to be three different stages of hot water added to the mash. Uh, we're basically going to create some sort of a, a, a malt porridge, if you like. And if we add this hot water, the first stage, about 63, 63 and a half uh, degrees Celsius. The second stage is about 70, and then the last third wash uh, or, or section is a little bit higher again. So eventually you're going to draw all of that sugar from the barley, it drains off the bottom, but it's too hot because we want to add yeast to it, and if it's over a, you know, a certain uh, I think that was a 40 degrees Celsius, the yeast will not survive. So we have to cool that liquid down, so that's known as the wort, W-O-R-T. We take the wort, pump it through a cooler, this is Willie, doing his dandest to make it look like he's actually working. <laughs> when you work at the distillery for 48 years, you don't really have to answer to anyone, to be honest. So he's kind he's of the boss right there uh, in his part. Once you've cooled down the wort, you take it into the washback area for fermentation. Fermentation is simply, it's really you're making a beer at this point. You're taking uh, sugar, mixing it with yeast, and eventually you're going to get alcohol, carbon dioxide, and heat. Well, we don't want those, the last two, we want the alcohol. But in Scotland, we like our alcohol to be a little bit stronger, and at this point, it's only 9% alcohol. And now, depending on what the story you, you talk to, 9, 9% might be quite a lot, it might not be. For instance, most Scotch whiskey distilleries uh, will create a beer or a wash that is about 7% alcohol. You go to Jack Daniels, and they've got it up to 13%. So they're, they're super efficient. Once you go to the distillery and you, you see someone like Willie, uh, they'll be able to take it into the, the fermentation area and uh, basically let you sample some of the beer. And once you taste the beer, that's when you start to realize why we make whiskey and not beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's nice, but you know, I think, I think a pint would do. So that's fine, we're using a hydrometer there to check the alcohol content. But what we want to do now, obviously, is double distill. You've heard all the jokes about Scots and Irish, about double distillation, triple distillation. Depends who you talk to on, on what you think is the true story, but the Irish will say they triple distill 
because the Scots, you know, are too tight to triple the still. That's why we only do it twice. And they get a nice, elegant, very light style of spirit. And we just say they screwed up the second time, so they added the still again. <laughs> but if you think about vodka production, for example, you see a lot of workers in the still seven, eight, nine, ten times. The more you distill something, uh, the more pure it becomes, the, 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 the less of the heavier alcoholic compounds remain in there. So you strip a lot of the flavour out, essentially. So the double distillation, it would stand to reason that you get a more heavier, kind of more robust spirit at the end of the day. And single malt Scotch whisky, I would say, is known to be the most uh, flavourful and complex of, of all the, the brown spirits out there. You could obviously argue that, but if you put down, um, you know, the best bourbon, the best blended Scotch, the best Irish whisky, and the best single malt you can find, I think that 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 would stand up. So what's happening? We take the beer, we we charge one of the wash stills. Which basically means we fill it up, it's a batch process, we heat it up from underneath, all of that lovely alcohol is going to start to vaporize at a lower temperature than, that, than water. So it starts to rise up and vapor up the, co the covered pot still. Once it gets to the top, it starts to uh, come down the line arm, and eventually it's going to hit the condenser at the back there on the left side. And the condenser just has all these cold water tubes running around it. That alcohol forms back from vapor into liquid, and then we collect that. It's now known as the low wines. Then this other still, we take the low wines, which is about 30% alcohol, we charge the spirit still, and we do that process one more time. We heat it up, we eventually get a liquid forming that is about 70 to 75% alcohol. And now we're getting somewhere. We almost have something that we can put in a, in a cask. Because really, that's where all the magic happens. If you taste the new made spirit, any single malt distillery, Sure, it might be nice, but when you taste something that's been in a barrel for 30 years, it's a little bit nicer. It's, it's had a lot of the rough edges shaved off, and there's a lot, tremendous amount of flavour that's come from the wood. Now, we can't just take all of that spirit from the second distillation and put it into a cask. It's, there's some toxins in there. So we separate the, the, the run into three different parts. The, the head, the heart, and the tails. So first of all, on the left-hand side, as we're distilling the first bit of the alcohol off the second distillation, this is the, the heaviest alcohol, this is the, the, the most potent part of alcohol, and some of it is quite toxic. So what we do is instead of adding that into our cast, we, we run that off as the head. And once that starts to go from cloudy into clear, we then know we're, we're getting into the heart. But the, you know, we don't want to waste the toxic part. So that's the part we actually bottle and ship out to England. <laughs> Cycle it though. Um, once we get from the, the, the head, we get into the heart, that's the smallest cut, and you're looking at about 70% alcohol down to about 63. And then once you get beyond that, you're into the tails, and we, we run the rest of the, the runoff and we recycle the rest of that. That's the installation, it's, it's fairly boring. Um, the fun part is the casks. Now, the last cask we're going to sample now is the sherry cask. Which some people go crazy over. Um, very, very different style of whiskey. I always find it's more, more important to know what distillery made your whiskey and what they were aging their whiskey in, as opposed to what region the whiskey distillery is in. I would say that if you're in Isla and the West Coast, chances are pretty high that you're going to be getting a peaty, smoky scotch. 
Now, some of you are going to come go to the Lothroyd table later and come to the, uh, the Glenfiddich table straight after, and I'm going to know exactly what you've just beaten. <laughs> I can smell it on your breath. Uh, I love the peaty, smoky stuff, but it's not the style of whiskey that we make at Glenfiddich. Um, we, we chose to move away from that style. Uh, most of the styles we saw were using peat back in the day. It's a very dominant flavour characteristic. And if you want more nuances throughout your range, uh, I believe it's more difficult to achieve that with a peated style whiskey. And so a lot of distilleries moved away from that many years ago. This is Ian McDonald, tending to one of our casks. Uh, Glenfiddich and Balvenie, uh, if any of you are aware, uh, it's the same family. So William Grant is the company I work for. Uh, still family owned since day one. 1887 we built Glenfiddich. William Grant, the founder, then built Balvenie right next door, and to this day the family still owns and operates both of the distilleries. Pretty, pretty incredible. There's only five distilleries out of about 110 malt whisky distilleries in Scotland that are owned by uh, the founding family, uh, or Scottish family, and that's Glenfiddich, Balvenie, Canimbi, which is also William Grant, uh, which we are going to have here tonight, I think. So if you haven't had that, you need to come and see us. Glenfarclas. Um, Glenfarclas, thank you, at Springbank. Okay, so I did pour myself a whiskey, so I'm going to do that. I'm good at that part. So, the, the main flavour characteristics you will you'll see from a sherry cask whiskey first of all, on the nose, I mean, it, 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 it would seem obvious to say sherry, but you are going to get something that resembles sherry because sherry is used in this type of oak. It's not necessarily. You know, the sherry remnants in the cask is more the fact that the sherry whiskey has something in common with the sherry because they're both aged typically in this type of barrel. However, all sherry is actually aged in American oak. We use specifically European oak, which is very different. European oak gives you this colour. It, it dominates the whiskey. So if, if you think about, if you aged all your whiskey just in sherry casks, it's more difficult for that fruity, glenfiddich character to come out. So your house style kind of gets masked a little bit and overpowered by the sherry cask. So we use it sparingly um, in the 12, the 15 and the 18. The 15 is the only whiskey we, we use new oak for until we just released the new 14, which we're also happy tonight, which is brand new to the US. Um, so let's sample the sherry if you haven't already. We'll have all those raisins, sherry, ripe fruits instead of the brighter kind of green apples and pears, more kind of stewed fruits, cooked fruits, I guess. You also notice kind of a, got a kind of brown sugar type flavor to it. It pulls from your palate. It's drying. You would definitely put this in the dry category. The American oak I feel is more oily and gives your mouth it's more it makes your mouth warm. This kind of pulls from there's more tannins in European oak. So you're gonna get that kind of effect on your palate. I find the sherry to be more one-dimensional of a flavour than the, I think the American oak tends to allow more a wider spectrum of flavours to shine through. And so if I had to choose one over the other, I would choose American oak. Of course, if I go to Spain and I do a presentation, I'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very important what you do with your oak. Uh, and we have Coopers on site. Very few distilleries still have this on site. It's very rare. It's costly. These guys, there's 11 Coopers. Uh, this is the only part of the distillery process that Glenfiddich and Balbany actually shares. Everything else, from the water source, to the grains, to, well, we kind of share some employees once in a while, uh, but typically the cooperage is really the only thing we share. Uh, Willie McDonald's been with us, I think, 49 years now, and 
you know, he's a, he's a strong man, but he's quite short. He's even shorter than I am, and so he, he's kind of got the nickname Mini Cooper. Although <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone's, anyone's calling that to his face yet. <laughs> so you probably know that we're getting all of our barrels from outside of Scotland. So what are these guys doing? They're repairing casks and they're rejuvenating casks. So sometimes in the warehouse you'll find a cask that's leaking. Uh, if you don't have guys on site that can repair that, then you're kind of screwed. And you have to empty that whiskey into another cask and then probably uh, get rid of that cask somehow. Whereas these guys can re, re, uh, restave it, they can take that missing state or that, that broken state out, replace it, and put it back into production very quickly. What they can also do is rejuvenate a cask. So in Scotland, we don't have to use new barrels, as we've, we've spoken about, as you already know. Uh, we can use them over and over and over again. Now there's a lot more strict management on wood nowadays than there was years ago. Many years ago we would just use the casks and use the casks and use the casks. And uh, now there's a lot more strict. Uh, but we can rejuvenate them. The, the, the very, very final quality check before a cask is emptied from uh, the distillery, there's a device that's put into the cask and it's called a colorimeter. Guess what it measures? Color. So if it's a 12 year old Glenfiddich, for example, and it's an American old cask, they would say they have a range, and if that colorimeter picks up that the whiskey color is lower than that range, then they know that that cask is a little bit tired, so they'll recast that whiskey into a slightly fresher barrel, and then they'll, they'll look and see if they can rejuvenate it, which means these guys can shave or skive a thin layer off the inside of that barrel, uh, about three millimeters, and that's going to take off the char and the toasted level and expose fresh new wood. Then what you need to do is re-toast it and re-char it. So when you toast the wood, a lot of caramelization is happening, there's a lot of flavours going to develop in the wood to give to the whisky. When you continue to burn the barrel, you're going to get that char layer which helps to extract some unwanted flavours. So there's two different things going on there. Uh, strangely enough, they don't char uh, European oak, it's only American oak that's charred, but they do toast uh, both. We did a little. What's the difference between toasting and charring? Toasting, uh, when you initially burn the wood very lightly, some of the, the flavours are released from the oak, and you, you get a little bit of a brown layer on it. But it's not like a char layer; it's not black. So when you continue to burn beyond that, you still have the toasted layer, but you, you start to burn a, a char layer on, on top of that. So that acts as a filter, and the toasting is, uh, is actually additive. Well, I've tried to build a cask, and the still is very difficult, and it takes a while, I would say about three weeks. These guys can do it in about 17 minutes. <laughs> and we also did something, that's the wrong one. We went to a team building thing in Fort Lauderdale, and they told us, we're going down the beach to dress appropriately. So flip-flops on, shorts, whatever. Get down there, they tell us that the activity we're doing is we're building a barrel. And they say, you need to wear appropriate footwear. <laughs> so we're all down at the beach with, with flip-flops trying to build these barrels on this little piece of wood. And so, yeah, we, we got the seas quick. And we got the barrel. We, we, we took it down. We sat all the staves out. We tried to put it back together. Uh, we got it back together. Uh, but we ended up having to hide two staves in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't get it all back 
together. We got it. It was it resembled a bar. I don't think it would have held any liquid. But it gives me a massive appreciation for what these guys do. It's such a it's such an amazing drink, and obviously one of the most important parts, important parts of the Scottish whisky or any whisky industry. So we, we do hats off to these guys, and. Uh, if you, if you go to any distillery, this would be something you would want to ask if you can do that. So, before we get into the madness of uh, downstairs, has anyone uh, in the room been downstairs before to this whiskey festival? Most people? But, well, less than half, so a lot of new faces. It's going to be fun. Folks, if you have any whiskey in your glass left, yes, um, I'd like to do a little final toast. First of all, our, our main man, Brian Kinsman, is the malt master. And I mentioned David Stewart earlier. David Stewart has worked at Glenfiddich and Balvenie, uh, or sorry, William Grant as a whole, for 52 years. And he trained Brian Kinsman for nine years. Brian Kinsman has now been full-time for nine years, so he's, he's actually been employed with the company for 18 years. But Brian goes into the warehouse, and he'll pick up a glass, and he'll do this, and swirl it, and... You know, occasionally he'll smile, but not often. And we call it the Kinsman. So Brandy's at the back of the room, you don't need to look round, but if you could all hold your glass up and we'll do a little Kinsman. <laughs> Good form. <laughs> My favourite toast is, uh, I'll drink to your health and I'm with you. I'll drink to your health and I'm alone. I'll drink to your health so often, I start to worry about my own. It's the bells. One of the best months to visit a distillery to see. Three Beers and a Scotch is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call on the Ideology of Madness hotline at 972-763-5903. Leave a comment on the blog or follow us on Twitter. Details in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and always remember and never forget that while you can lead a horse to water, you cannot make him share a single malt. Celebrity Voices Impersonated. Pizza. Pizza.